One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that forces our guests to pick just three songs that will always take them back to a memory as the framework for a great conversation. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Danny Black. That's the nom de plume of guitarist and songwriter Daniel Schwartz. Danny's a member of the Philly-based indie folk trio Good Old War. Black's instrumental guitar music draws inspiration from Leo Kotke, Tommy Emanuel, and Robert Fripp. He's released two solo albums that were entirely instrumental, Adventure Soundtrack and Themes, and his recently released third album, Black Rhino, is a shift in musical style because there are no instrumental pieces and he's the lead singer. Danny has toured extensively with Good Old War and is a solo artist, as well as Joshua Radin's lead guitarist earlier this year on a tour that took them around Europe. He's shared the stage with Allison Krauss in Union Station, Counting Crows, Josh Ritter, Gregory Allen Isakoff, and many more. He came across our radar because he's my daughter's mother's cousin, and we're so pleased we could make this happen from his home in Philly. Hey there, Danny. How's it going? It's going excellent. It's going excellent. How are I you? Heard the gr- I heard through the... Great. We are happy to have you here remotely from your, what, apartment in Philly? Is that where you are? Oh, I have a house here. I got a studio. Yep. <laughs> you have a house. Your house in Philly. Well, congratulations. We'll get more into that in a little bit. I heard through the grapevine that you uh, just celebrated a birthday. I did yesterday, yeah. I'm not saying the number. Well, it's happy birthday. Thank you. Should we sing happy wait, birthday wait, wait, for Danny? Wait, Danny. Yes. Yesterday was my birthday. No. Oh, my goodness. No, it wasn't. We're having a coincidence. Yeah. December 4th. Oh, man. That's amazing. Team 12 4. All right. Well, should we sing happy birthday? I guess we have to. Gwen, start us off. Me? Yes, yeah. you're the singer. You're the. Yeah. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, cousin Danny <laughs> and Richard. Happy birthday to you. Oh, you guys are just the best. <laughs> oh, and now we can just end the show. That was it. That's that it. was the high water mark. Yeah, this was easy. Okay. Okay, so uh, what was the musical background of your childhood? Try to characterize that, because I, I think it's probably, a, there's a lot of parts to it. Sure. Um, actually, it's fairly easy uh, to trace back when I started. Uh, actually, Gwen knows Aunt Ron. Uh, that's your grandma. That was, uh, she's a big part of the reason why I play guitar. My dad is her brother, and he played uh, a lot when I was growing up. So I pretty much just wanted to be like him. I would emulate him with fake toy guitars, whatever I could find. I would always sort of dance around the house acting like I was in a band. So um didn't take long before somebody decided to put a guitar in my hands and get me some lessons. And I was about eight when I was actually getting kind of serious about it. And uh, it didn't take long again for me to end up in bands. And I was, I, by the time I was in high school, I was playing in almost every band in the area because there wasn't a whole lot of people that played and sang. Uh, so everybody needed either a guitar player or a bass player. And I would play anything that would get me into any band. So I was this tiny little freshman playing in bands with a whole bunch of seniors. And I'm sure I looked ridiculous, but uh, it, it helped me a lot. So there's a... We, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say, uh, back up a little bit. When you first got that first guitar, did you take right to it? Or was it something you had to work to? No, I took right to it. I I remember my first lesson, the guy, was he wasn't much of a player, if I think back on it now. But he taught me a few chords. 
And I remember him just being kind of surprised that it didn't take long. But but I'd already been, even by the time for my first lesson, I'd already been kind of messing around with it, trying to get my hands around the neck and, and just the get comfortable with the feeling of hitting the same string that my finger was holding down and things of that sort. So, yeah, it it always just made sense to me. I think, you know, when you watch people play a lot when you're a kid, you're, you're, you're very, your brain is very sort of spongy and you, you know, especially as when you're young. So I just sort of was able to, you know, Im, Im, impersonate other people, other adults, basically. Hmm. Um, if I ask you to remember back to an early musical memory from your childhood, if you try to dig back as far as you can, what would pop up? Well, the first thing I remember is dancing around in my room, pretending I was in Def Leppard. I, okay. I remember <laughs> Pour, pouring some sugar on you. Yeah, I was. I remember getting that tape. I what I used to do is when I was a kid, I used to run away from home, uh, quote unquote, run away from home. So I'd kind of like pick a fight with my mom. Uh, this is when I was pretty young too, and we lived in uh, Northeast Philly, which isn't the best area. So I'll bet this was pretty horrifying uh, for her. Uh, but I used to just you know pick a fight, run away from home, and really I would just run to Sam Goody, you know, this tape store, and I'd buy a tape. So it would be whatever, you know, my brother was telling me was cool at the time. Uh, a lot of the time it would be Bobby Brown or, or I don't know. But I remember hearing uh, Def Leppard on the radio and saying, okay, I need to get that tape. So I remember going out and buying that hysteria and dancing around my room pretending I was in the band. And I would literally go from instrument to instrument. So I'd set up pillows in front of me and pretend I was, in the, I was the drummer or set up a, a microphone and be the lead singer or a guitarist or bassist. <laughs> and I would jump around for hours doing this. Was that the first album that you would have owned or would you have had any that you owned prior to that? I think that was probably one of the first that was really mine. That, and I mean, it was a lot of that kind of rock and roll, De- uh, Bon Jovi, Def Leppard. And then I remember getting Genesis and Visible Touch and things of that sort. So uh, I'm dating myself, but this is the 80s. Uh, What would be the first band that caught your attention for real, not going to buy something, but just something that you heard through your folks or something like that? Uh, It was definitely the Beatles. Uh, I'm pretty sure the only band that my dad knows exists is the Beatles. And on top of that, I think that only Sgt. Pepper's. (laughs) So he definitely showed me the Beatles right away. And I was obsessed and I, I continue to be obsessed. It's one of those bands that just never gets old for me. What was the first song that you learned on the guitar? Oh, man. Uh, well, I don't remember the first song. It's probably one of my dad's songs, actually, because he wrote songs a lot when I was a kid. But the first song that I remember figuring out myself was Guns N' Roses. I used to love her, but I had to kill her. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Probably not the right song for like a 10-year-old to learn how to play, but I don't know how I got my hands on it, but I did. You started on acoustic guitar? Yeah, I started on acoustic guitar. I, I quickly started playing bass, and I didn't really get an electric guitar until I was probably in high school. Hmm. Uh, when, did you, do you, when did you write your first song? Oh, man, probably in around 9 or 10. I think I immediately okay. started writing Still, songs. All of this started early then, right? Very early, yeah. I, and I've probably, I can't even imagine how many songs I've written. It's, it's depressing to uh, think about. Was when you say write, you wrote your first song at ten. Do you mean like compositionally, or did you actually write like, like lyrics? Was there? A oh song yeah, that you no wrote? music and lyrics. Well, I was impersonating. What was it everything. about? Oh, it was. A, I'm sure it was a terrible fake love song about some girl that I didn't even. You know, I didn't really. I don't know. I was made up. You know, I would invent. I would basically just write lyrics from other songs in a different order. 
uh, like a Mad Lib. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you hear lyrics, you hear lyrics in a song, so I say that. But I'll just say, you know, instead of saying I love you, I might be like, you love me. <laughs> I just turn it around, you know. I, yeah. Any kind of way to pretend that I was writing, but I wasn't really. I'm sure I was just, you know, imitating. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you say it that way because, um, so I'm a I'm a guitarist and a pianist as well, and um, when you start learning to play uh, and try to write songs, you're kind of doing that with music as well. Like you're kind of just aping the chord structures that you know without trying to straight up rip off another song. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And and I think that that's a really important part of the development that people maybe think, you know, it's like you always hear all these great artists always saying, you sh- you have to develop your own style, you have to develop your own style. But really it takes years and years of imitation before you can really figure out who you, you are or who you're going to be. The one song that I've ever written is based on the Pac-A-Bell Cannon thing. <laughs> you wouldn't be the only one that's written that one. <laughs> oh, I know. That's why, that's why I did it. But I changed one of the chords just slightly so it's not copyright infringement. <laughs> Smart. I, I, I don't even know who, who even that's... owns it. I mean, because... Yeah, I know. I was just about to say, it's, I'm sure it's open uh, source by now. Yeah. Okay, before we get to your first song, do you remember uh, your first slow dance and what maybe it would have been too? Oh, man. Well, we definitely had dances. I definitely remember going to dances at school and camp and stuff uh man probably like time of time of my life i think dirty dancing was pretty big when i was uh (laughs) when i was starting to slow dance oh i thought you i i thought you meant the the green day song (laughs) oh no no that's way later (laughs) were you a big fan of uh Dirty Dancing, the movie? Uh, you know, I don't even think I saw it until I was older. What? I'm pretty sure I wasn't allowed to. I think it was, you know, it was dirty. It had adult dirty content. Dirty. Yeah, adult mm. content. It was beyond <laughs> Gwen, have you seen it yet? I have not seen oh, it. Oh, you got to watch it. It's a musical. There's dancing. It's great. <laughs> it's dirty. <laughs> You're my dad. Show it to me. I will. It's not, okay. It's not uh, very dirty. It, it's just, just no, the title was scary for a kid. I just, it's mildly dirty. I just realized that you you and Gwen could, like, um, could Halloween costume as Jerry Orbach's character and and baby baby yeah. yes yes what oh you'll see, you'll see. okay um, okay okay Danny it is time for you to get to your first song uh, um, do you want you mentioned before that you wanted to just just play them straight up do you want to continue on with that thought yeah let's play them first and then we'll talk about them okay and they're in the order that you sent them to me so so ten, 10 years, years gone, gone is first, first. okay. Yep, okay. Then we've got it. This is uh, 10 Years Gone by Led Zeppelin from their 1975 album Physical Graffiti. Mighty Led Zeppelin. Mighty Led Zeppelin, indeed. Um, Man, it's hypnotizing. It really is. I don't even know where to start on this song. I mean, um, (laughs) should, should I get into it? Yeah, just go. Go with uh, where that took you and why it's your first song today. Okay, well, the f- the reason why it's my first song today is because this is the first time I remember getting the chills from hearing a song. Uh, I don't know if everybody's experienced this, but music has always been, obviously, <laughs> as a musician, music's always been the number one thing to me. It's been extremely important. But I remember the moment that I heard those guitar harmonies at the end of the song and just like being completely emotionally overtaken. I couldn't believe that something could sound so awesome. I didn't know what it was. I just knew, I didn't even understand that it was multiple guitars. I just heard this sound that just blew my mind. I mean, there, this song has so many elements to it. It's pretty unbelievable. Uh, the least of all is probably the lyrics. Honestly, I don't have any idea what the song's even about. 
So I always wonder. Yeah, I don't even remember what it. I, yeah, I, I have no idea what I just listened to because I wasn't listening to the lyrics necessarily. Right, exactly. For, the for music sure. is so dense and so incredible that you don't even notice the lyrics. I I almost feel like that was kind of Robert Plant's role a lot of the time. If he sometimes he was just trying to be sexy, which is a little bit obnoxious, and then other times he's he's sort of saying kind of nonsense that really is more rhythmic and melodic than you don't even really notice what he's actually saying, and I. I think that uh, in this case, <laughs> this is one of those times where the sa- the words sound good, but I don't even think he's really trying to say anything. I think he's just trying to be a part of the band, which is kind of a cool way for a lead singer to to behave, because it's really about the guitar and the rhythm. I think in this song. Do you remember like you know where that was, when that was, about how old you were, how you were exposed to it? Yeah, absolutely. I remember I got this album, Physical Graffiti, on a it was a blank tape. I think my again, my dad had a bunch of tapes. Maybe a friends had given him, and everything was copies of some other album. Maybe it was even like a direct copy from the vinyl. And uh, I remember putting it on, and this song it was definitely completely out of order too. I think the second side this is a this is a double album, so. I think the second vinyl was actually first. So this came on pretty early and because uh, this is on the second half of the album. And I remember just it, it literally stopped me in my tracks. I had the album on. I was listening and yeah, I heard a few songs that were pretty cool. And then this song came on and I just couldn't believe it immediately, too, because I'd never really heard any kind of jazzy chords like they have in the beginning of the song as well. And I was even immediately, even without even having any idea, I I was thinking, where's the drummer? How is he not even playing yet? That's so patient. I I don't know why I thought that, but it's something that still strikes me now when I hear the song that you, you don't, you don't hear anything. You have this amazing drummer that could play anything in the world. And he chose to wait, you know, a minute or two to come in. And it's still like the song doesn't even really develop until the end. So it's a really patient and well-written song and it doesn't follow any kind of normal structure. There's no chorus or, you know, there's nothing, the, the parts kind of repeat, but they also continue to cascade on themselves and there's new parts. There's a, uh, there's also that really beautiful first guitar solo that has uh, I think he's got a phaser on his guitar, which is also, that's one of the first times I ever heard that sound, that kind of mid range sweep. And I immediately went out and got a phaser. So a lot of this stuff was really just a discovery of tones and, and, what you could do with a guitar. I mean, this is a tour de force for guitar players. And how old were you? Probably around, probably around nine, nine or 10 max. And yeah. Wow. So you had started playing uh, an electric guitar by then? No. I mean, all of this stuff. I, oh, I, so you. I, I would get things way before I had any use or idea of what they were. I did this a lot. I even bought vinyl when I was a kid with no record player. The, I was always trying to be, <laughs> always trying to sort of step, be one step ahead of where I actually was in my development. Uh, as you you know progressed as a guitar player and started playing electric guitar and other kinds of guitars, did you try to play like Jimmy Page? Did you try For to sure. emulate that and do? How close could you yeah. get? Oh, <laughs> extremely far. I'm still trying to sound like Jimmy Page. You know, it's it's this guy, the the way that he's able to sit in a track and and how he could create this world and it could go from this beautiful acoustic thing to this crazy heavy electric bluesy thing in an instant uh, there's still something about it that nobody's even gotten close to being touch, uh, able to touch but i think one of the main things that i got from zeppelin that uh, i think is getting lost a little bit i don't want to sound like an old guy or anything but one of the things that <laughs> that's getting lost in bands these days is that everything's cleaned up and perfect and yeah. and mapped to the grid 
And I don't think there's anything wrong with using click tracks or anything like that, but the sound of a band that makes them special, that wouldn't sound like anybody else, is gone when you make sure that everybody's hitting the same beat at the exact same time. Because what yep. makes a sound of a band special to me is, you know, with Led Zeppelin, it's, it goes Jimmy Page, then John Paul Jones, then John Bonham. You know, every time it's an instant and it's really, really quick, but that's what makes it sound like Led Zeppelin. You know, and, and you could pick that out on any of the classic bands, which guy comes in in which order and how they approach the rhythm. And that's what gives it air and special, that special quality. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that a step further because, uh, you know, we, we trimmed the songs down for, for this podcast. And so I do a lot of remixing and editing of these songs. And I'll tell you what, the newer a, a song is, the easier that is because right. they're just using like loops for the chorus. Mm-hmm. So like the drum, the drum will be a drum loop or even if it's real, like it'll be, they'll get like two good measures. And it'll, be it'll be perfectified. It'll be perfectified. They'll smooth out guitar riffs. So like the progression, if it's 4-4 four, four especially, like... They really they recorded one good loop and then just and they just stamped it across the track and so like it's very easy to do. When I go back and I have to do things like um, like Zep or like you're um, gonna get to do with like this I'm doing one for that one the Stones, even the Beatles like I can't actually just like normally I can see the beats and just go that goes there mm-hmm. boom and they line up and uh, that is not the case with older songs because it's a real track they they played the whole thing through and it's not perfect it's superhuman. Uh, it's superhuman and not superhuman. <laughs> well, it is superhuman in some ways because if you think about that, I mean, this is a this is an average Led Zeppelin track. You know, as far it's not a hit, it's not a uh, it's, yeah. it's a B side yeah. track. You know, they're not they're not going for a single here, and the quality of it is remarkable. So the what they're doing is, and this takes an incredible amount of rehearsal because they really did play that song from beginning to end, and that's. That tension and the the possibility for a mistake and the fact that they're still going for it at the very end with that kind of gusto yeah. just shows how great of players they were and, and how you had to be if you wanted to be a great band back then. We recently had, uh, and I think it was the first, is this the second Led Zeppelin song now, Richard? Because we yeah, recently had so. Going to California mm-hmm. uh, on the show, and I looked it up in the YouTube, the first comment was, how do you even write this? Yeah. And it, I listened to this with you, guys, with you guys now, and it's the same thing. It's like, how do you even write this? Like, it's, how, who It's such who a mystery. This? It's such a mystery, and, and it's one of those things that we'll never really understand. Because now, I mean, if you think about how you can write now with, with all the technology, you could take an idea, okay, I put that idea down. You know, you could put it down in five minutes and then you go and you write the next part. But I mean, these are fully formed ideas that are so completely well thought out. You got to wonder, you know, how long they would spend on these demos or how just how songs like this got written. It's it. I mean, how do you write a stairway to heaven? How does that happen? Yeah. <laughs> you know, or um, my version of this for you, because like when I had started playing guitar, of course, I started gobbling up guitar, like, you know, primary guitar rock and roll music so that I could hear more of it. And um, Cashmere was my version of this. Like, I heard that and I didn't even know that the strings were strings. Right. So like at the beginning of that, I was just like, I don't know what that is. Do they catch bees and make them do notes? Like, it's just, but it's so driving. The banana And yeah, I. I got chills like you described and then I and then I had to look up like what even is that and then I I didn't when I realized like oh you can just take a bunch of cellos and throw it into a, a rock a rock track um they were just taking chances yeah exactly I mean and you you have to remember that's this that's the same album as this too so that yeah. this is that time when when the band just 
the, every idea seemed to be gold. And then not only was the idea good, but they were able to write the perfect song to highlight <laughs> the idea. It's, it's really remarkable. They're, they're a really special act. And that's why they're, they're one of the greats. Because there's a lot of bands with great ideas that don't have the songs to hold up you know, that can keep every, that can actually keep you interested. And, and the idea is just like, oh, wow, that's really cool. But I don't actually want to hear this again. And Led Zeppelin is definitely one of those bands that could take any idea and write the perfect song around it. Obviously, the Beatles did that better than anybody. So who are your inspirations in terms of, you know, being a guitar player besides, you know, Jimmy Page? Oh, it's so it's all over the place. Uh, But uh, for so many years, I spent so many to be honest with you, this might be surprising. But Paul McCartney is one of my favorite guitar players uh, because he did everything. And and I don't think a lot of people maybe even because he's a bass player in the Beatles a lot of the time too. But if you listen to a song like Blackbird, um, or you know right after that, then you have all sorts of great uh, finger picking songs all over the White Album, and that album definitely blew my mind when I was a kid. Um, and then all of his solo stuff, Paul McCartney one and and Ram, and there's just great playing all throughout all of his stuff, and a lot of that is him. Uh, so he was up there for me, Paul Simon. Uh, also an underrated player. He's thought of as a songwriter and singer, but he also is a great guitarist. And then there's there's a whole lot of um, the virtuosos, Leo Kotke and um, Tommy Emmanuel, guys like that. Um, who would be the most, like, you're a wizard guitar player to you? Like, I don't understand how you are doing what I am watching you do. Yeah, probably Tommy Emmanuel. I don't know if you've ever seen this guy play, but he's he's probably the best in the world at what he does. I've never seen anything like it before. Hmm. We'll have to check it out. Um, so Ooh, there's a there's a video of him playing with the Australian Philharmonic playing classical gas. Uh, mm. Not that, surprising. That yeah, he does. That, he does. He does that. But then he'll do gypsy jazz in the next breath, just as yep. as perfect as it could get. He does a Beatles medley. It's unbelievable. Definitely worth yeah. checking out. Yep. So how many bands, if you had to estimate, I'm going to not press you for details because I bet you don't know, but how many bands were you in before Good Old War came around? Oh, it's it's got to be countless. I mean, I would probably say maybe 50, 60 bands. Wow. Whoa. Um, what was the one that was the most, that you were around with the most before Good Old War? Uh, probably my band Unlikely Cowboy. So this was the band that led to Good Old War in a lot of ways. I had a band that was a bit of a country uh, alt country kind of band uh, in the early 2000s, and uh, when I met the guys from Good Old War, they were in a band called Days Away, which is a bit of a, a heavier kind kind of e- almost like a heavy emo band or a light punk band somewhere in the middle there. And when they heard us, they wanted to get involved in something a little bit more acoustic. So we started kind of inspiring each other. And I started stealing players from that band to join my band, Unlikely Cowboy. <laughs> and they started borrowing me to play on acoustic versions of their songs. And that's how we ended up in the band together. I now realize that I was saying it wrong. I was saying good old war, but it's actually good old war. Oh, however, there's a distinction. You however you want to say it. Oh, yeah. There's no, there's no <laughs> okay, right well, Okay, there's no right way. Um, so before we talk a little bit more about that, I just it just occurred to me that you might be the first person on this show that I can ask this question to because you're about the right age and you were in Philly or you are in Philly. Uh-huh. I, I came across a band called The Teeth. Do you know The Teeth? <gasps> I love The Teeth. Yeah, those are buddies of mine. Yeah. You, you're kidding me. Wow. I, Sam and I were in Philly. We went to see like a guy that she went to high school with was the fourth sh- – uh, was the f- – first song or the first band on a four band ticket in a little bar and we'd stuck around and the teeth played they were the final band 
and they blew me freaking away. And I bought their CD, Send My Regards to the Sunshine, and I have listened to that maybe mm-hmm. more than any other CD in the world. That's amazing. More than, yeah. well, and nobody knows who they yeah, are, wait, yeah. but you know them. Wait, uh-huh. wait more than Video of more, more than Video of Arganville? Yeah, it'll be, cl- be close. Or do we just like not, that doesn't No, count? I just yeah. love it. I think it's just perfect. Wow. I think it's just perfect. And so you know them. Please talk. Yeah, Sorry, well, we've, Jonas, I've gone Jonas crazy. the drummer is kind of a man about town. Everybody knows Jonas. He's He used to run an open mic at a really great uh bar called fergie's and and he's just a guy who's played with kind of everybody but also um my first introduction to them came through dr dog dr dog was doing everything they could to get the teeth well known uh they took them on tour constantly they got them signed to their record label park the van um and those guys ended up breaking up but uh, they didn't. They didn't make it very long, but man, they were they were just a, an absolutely awesome band. But yeah, I mean, everybody in Philly knew of them if they didn't know them personally. But I just happened to have been in bands at the same time, so we played a bunch of shows together and things like that. That's awesome. I just remember like the the lead singer was had a big beard and played bass guitar, and then the, the other guy played lead guitar, and then he'd do these like one finger solos on the piano, which were just <laughs> right, which were just perfect. Well, they were brothers too, one guitar player and the and the lead singer bass player, and then there was uh, another guy who had the most amazing mustache you've ever seen. Um, and then there was uh, and then there was Jonas on drums. Okay, well, I'll have to use a teeth song for the parting tune on this episode. So, yeah. um, so um, where did the name Good Old War come from? Uh, that is actually a little bit of all of our names. So I go by Danny Black for my solo stuff, but the reason why I do that, well, there's actually a few reasons. One of the main reasons is that there's another guitar player named Dan Schwartz, so I couldn't use my own name or else I would never be able to find myself (laughs) or anybody would ever be able to find me because there's already a very established guy with the same name. Uh, Understood. But also, another reason is that uh, I never, I was always kind of funny about the idea of not being in a band, because if you're in a band, then you see your name, you're stoked, you're excited, you see your band's name. But if I saw my own name, I always thought that would feel kind of weird. So to have a little bit of a stage name always made me feel a little bit more comfortable because I could say, okay, that's my band. You know, it doesn't feel right. so much like just seeing my name, like I would see it on my, on my ID or something. So yeah, yeah. yeah so I, I went with uh, another thing. But at the time, obviously, I was just using my regular name because I was in a band. So that's the war. And then Goodwin is Keith's, uh, our lead singer's name. And Arnold is our drummer's name. So we did Goodwin, Arnold, and Schwartz. And we broke it up into bits because if you used our whole names, it would have sounded like a law firm. So we just used little bits. <laughs> I was going to make a law firm joke. Yeah. So, yes, you yeah. are accurate in that assessment. Yeah. How, long have you guys, how long have you guys been around? Oh, man. Well, I, our first album came out in 2008. I believe we started writing it in 2007. Okay. Uh, and you've done a bunch of touring over the years. Um, you know, I want to see what that tour, you know, we'll talk about how the plague has affected things here in a minute. But when you guys were touring, like what was the routine? What was your tour vehicle? Uh, just talk about that time being on the road a lot. Oh, man. Well, yeah, we that's become I wouldn't even say it's almost it's almost the, a way of life at a certain point. We just didn't know what to do with ourselves at home. I'd say we've toured all over the world for a long time <laughs> and nonstop pretty much. We, we almost became known I'd say in a lot of ways as the band that would do almost any kind of crazy tour. And we, we really prided ourselves on that all the time. So I, I do miss that a whole lot, but I, <laughs> you know, you have to keep yourself busy somehow, but uh, there's something about being on tour where it's not just, um, it's not just the shows and it's not just the obvious thing. It's more about being in this traveling camp 
where you're in a tiny little world that only you know uh, what it's like, and it's a constantly evolving thing. So every tour has its own personality and it's its own beast. And every group of people affects it a little bit differently. And there's some that are just, you can't believe that you get to wake up every day and do it. And there's some where you just cannot wait for them to end. Um, but the kinds of people that live well on the road, uh, those are the people that, that make the most sense to me. I, I don't know. I, I'm, we're a little, we're a little bit strange and you have to be a little bit of a masochist because you, you really do, you really do go through a lot of pain to, for that one hour of playing every day. What's the farthest you guys have ever gone for a show? Well, we, I remember one time we did a tour, a full U S tour. That was a little bit over a month long and it ended in Jacksonville, Florida. And then the, we had two days that we had to start the very next tour in, uh, in Vancouver. So we drove and we, and that was a month long cross Canadian tour. So we were out for about two and a half months uh, full U.S. and then full Canada, and it was November, so we didn't see the sun in Canada for a good month, and it was it was really something. <laughs> it was it's that's the kind of thing that usually would break a band up, I would say. About how many about how many shows do you think you did in that month in Canada? Uh, probably less than you would do in the U.S. That's for sure, because you have to drive a mm-hmm. day for everything's far for, yeah. for the whole West Coast, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but you get to places, Nova Scotia and places like that, and you just, you just, it's so cold. It's hard to believe these are real places, or or Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Do you have a most memorable gig ever with the band? Yeah, probably Radio City Music Hall. We opened up for that wow. band, Dispatch. Uh, there and that was a definite bucket list kind of show for us hmm um so well let's move on to your second song i'll get back to this but let's get to your second song and then we're going to pick back up with um you know what's been going on since you know march um so what's your second song my second song is some sweet day uh by the everly brothers all right, well, we're going to play it. I'm not even going to ask you. Uh, Some Sweet Day by the Everly Brothers from their 1960 album, It's Everly Time. So what's the story with that one? Well, again, that, that song, every time I hear it, I just can't believe how great of a song that is. Uh, there's a lot to the story. Well, the Everly Brothers were, and not just for me, but I think almost anybody that ever fell in love with harmony are the entry point. There isn't a better harmony group out there, I don't think, ever. (laughs) Nobody's ever done it better than this band. I mean, there wouldn't be Simon and Garfunkel if it wasn't for them. There wouldn't be Crosby, Stills, and Nash. or Even the Beatles, you know, will say that the Everly Brothers is where they learned how to sing harmony. So that's it's just massive. But that song in particular uh, is the first song that I started singing with my wife, who also sings Beautiful Harmony. So it it means a lot to me. and it's written by these two songwriters, this married couple, Felice and Bodil O'Brien. And they wrote a ton of hits at that time, all the big Everly Brothers hits and songs for Buddy Holly that everybody knows. And I mean, they were just the, the premier songwriters. And I don't think anybody even knows who they are. So let's go back to that first time that you sang it with your wife. Was the, Do you remember exactly where you guys were? I want to talk about, paint us a radio picture of that time and place yeah um absolutely so when i first met my wife uh she also had a a, a passion for the road so when we uh we started we started to need help with our band we were we were starting to do kind of well and 
I I ran the idea by the band of having her do our merch and start tour managing for us. And she became a permanent part of our touring group, uh, which was amazing because she's so good and responsible. So everybody loved having her around and she's a, a pleasure to be around. And then on top of that, um, I got to have my wife there all the time. So I got to have, a you know, I didn't feel like I was ever really leaving home. And uh, she's always been a great harmony singer. And I remember introducing her to the Everly Brothers and she immediately learned every single song. And we just, I just started to, uh, to learn how to play them on the guitar. And this was the first one, but we sang, we, we can sing almost every Everly Brothers song together. There's a lot of Everly Brothers songs. I looked, I was looking I at their Wikipedia before this and I kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. I mean, there's hundreds. I know. And we spent hours and hours. And what we used to do is walk around uh, and we still do it sometimes, we'll, you know, especially like if we're on tour, uh, we haven't been on tour this year, but a lot of the time on tour, we'll be walking around a city and we'll just start singing and the other one will join in. And uh, it's really a pleasure. It makes time pass beautifully. We do it in the car a lot. Instead of listening to music, we'll just all either have a ukulele or we'll just do it acapella, just start singing. The other one joins in and um, it's a, just been great for for a, for a way for us to pass the time. And it keeps us close and we love the way it sounds sing great harmony. Uh, you know, if you throw an empty guitar case on the ground while you're doing that, you earn some scratch <laughs> while you're on tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. Well, actually, so on top of that, um, what that led to is this song is the only cover on it, but when we got married, uh, instead of giving away, we didn't, for our, our wedding, our wedding treat, mm-hmm. you know, you give everything, something to the guests, we gave out a CD, uh, and I wrote four original songs, and then we did a cover of this song. So this is on our collector's items, really. Aww. Yeah, right? So you sing in Good Old War? Uh, yeah, we all sing. Uh, I'm not the lead singer in the band, but uh, everybody in the band sings. We're, it's, it's all about three-part harmony. And But your solo work up until the most recent one was not singing. Is that right? That's correct. And and again, a lot of that has to do with wanting to maybe carve out my own niche a little bit and not be... Uh, compared to the band in any way, but the new one has singing, yes. Hmm. And so let's go back now to March when things started shutting down. I looked at your website, and it looked like you were on an interesting tour that involved lots of countries that are far away, and then they ended on the website anyway, right around the end of February. Did that happen because of presumably COVID? Well, that was the last tour because of COVID, but no, we were incredibly fortunate that we got to finish a really wild European tour. Uh, and I, that's when I, I play with a singer songwriter named Joshua Raiden. I'm his guitar player as well. So that's another gig for me, um, that I love to do play with other singer songwriters and try to make them feel like they're as comfortable as they can be on stage. Um, and yeah, he took us to Europe and, and we went to all sorts of beautiful countries. So that was you were you were lead guitar for Josh Joshua Raiden That's right, in like yeah. Germany, Denmark. So you don't have to drop any countries here. I'm going to do it for you. Germany, Denmark, Sweden, France, Netherlands, UK, Italy, Spain. That must have been a real treat. It was. It was. And and I, again, I mean, touring is this beautiful way to see cities um, because people people will really want to give you the essence of it. You don't get to see in quite so much. You know, you don't get a whole lot of sightseeing, but. Uh, man, the, the amount of places that I've gotten to go because I play guitar, it's really amazing. 
Okay, so that if if the pandemic didn't end that tour, it certainly stopped you from being able to play out in the world. So talk about you know what it's been like. Maybe has it caused you to go into new places creatively in terms of being uh, you know not being able to play gigs? Just talk about what life as a musician has been like for the past ten months or nine yeah. months. Yeah, well, the first thing that I started doing was teaching lessons actually online. So and and I found a great joy in that, and that supplements the idea of not being able to tour. Uh, obviously, not fully touring is is by far um, my most uh, my my main source of income. So th- that's the first thing. Obviously, a main source of income going away, but uh, the teaching lessons has been has been incredibly fulfilling, and I I really really love it. And I love my students. I, I feel very lucky in that way. Um, but uh, a lot of what I've done is do a lot of recording. I, at, when it first started, it, it was actually kind of like a snow day. I decided to start doing really random projects. I, I covered the entirety of Pink Floyd Dogs, which is about a 30-minute song, completely by myself, and put that on Bandcamp. And um, I've recorded a lot of stuff with many people all over the world doing a whole lot of, um, a whole lot of uh, collaborations with people who've sent me tracks or st- I've started things and sent tracks to other people. I did music for a trailer. Uh, I did music for a full film that didn't get end up getting put together, but I now have myself a, a new album that I can put out. And um, I've basically begun and completed a whole lot of things. And then for the last um, month or so, I've been out in Colorado working with an artist, producing an al- uh, producing and co-writing an album with them. Uh, any teaser on what that is, or is that something? Who is that? Uh, well, I, I should I should wait until that's that's more okay. fully formed. But that's going to be I, that's the biggest I thing fe- I've I ever felt been that. That's why in, I asked say. diplomatically. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so this your new album that you do sing on, um, uh, Black Rhino. Did that was that already underway before the pandemic shut things down, or is that did that come yeah. in since then? I, I, amazingly, so so I made two instrumental albums as you as you pointed out, and. After the first instrumental album, that's when I actually made this Black Rhino album. And it felt like a very strange thing to do and put out right after putting out an all-instrumental album. So I decided I was going to do one more guitar-centric record, and that's when I made Themes and put that out. And so I've been I've had this album out actually ready for about a year or so. Uh, oh. And, and so it, it just seemed like the right time. And then actually I started putting out songs from it when the pandemic started going on and then things got a little dark. Uh, you know, as everybody knows, things just got very, very dark for a little while in the country. And I, I felt like with everything going on with, um, politics and things of that sort, it just didn't feel appropriate to keep putting music out. So I paused it for a little while. And when things started calming down a little bit more, I, I started, I decided, okay, it's time. I'm going to put the whole thing out and, and maybe just bring a little bit of joy to people and stop thinking so much about whether or not it's appropriate. You know, people need a little bit of joy instead. And you play everything on it? I play everything but the drums. The drums are my friend Ryan Zamaro, and that's why it's called Rhino. I, I, that's his nickname. So we just named it after both of us. You do that. Yeah, that's how you do things. Um, so it's just you singing. There's no harmonies on it then. Uh, no, I'm doing the harmonies, but yes. Oh, okay. Is, so you're doing if all. If you the, listen uh, very closely on one song, you can hear my wife singing a very high harmony on the song uh, "Who Drives This Train." Okay. Um, all right. We're going to pivot to some other uh, random show questions here. So, if you were a championship wrestler, Danny, what music would you come in on? Oh man! Wow, that's that's one putting me on the spot. Well, um, 
I guess Eye of the Tiger's already been used, hasn't it? It was used yesterday Literally by a the guest. Last time, yeah, we recorded. <laughs> You could say that one. You could say that one, but you can say that one. But literally, twenty-four hours ago, almost exactly, sitting in the chair that I'm in, the guest said, "Eye of the Tiger." <laughs> Who wouldn't say that song? It is the ultimate fight song. Okay, well, you know what it might be. I think I might come into the Tron. There's there's some songs on the Tron soundtrack by Daft Punk. Yeah, the right most on. Epic songs ever. So I'd probably right choose that. Right on. D so good. <laughs> Uh, okay, we're not going to try to TV, sing a TV theme song because it's just going to be a train wreck over the phone. So we're, we're just going to we're going to give you a pass. Wait, there, no, 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 no. Is there I any TV a... theme song, Danny, that you would like to sing for us? Yeah, yeah. I, we, are there any that you watch so much that you know that theme song backwards and forwards? Uh, you know, I I wish I could think of one, but I, I you know I'm not a huge TV guy. I gotta say, I'm sorry. Okay, well I think we're just gonna give you a pass, then, right. but we're gonna leave all Thank this you. in. Um, okay, if you were a cocktail or a drink of some kind, what would it be? Oh, I'm a whiskey and club soda. Okay. All right. How do you make Straight that a, the the Danny uh, Black whiskey and club soda? Yeah, uh, personalize it somehow, even if just you know some little. Oh, absolutely. Well, because I because it's you know it's it's I think that it's one of those it's unassuming. You wouldn't think that it would be as delicious as it is. That's I'm delicious. <laughs> so it's called the Delicious Danny. What kind of the glass delicious is it Danny. in? Delicious Danny, and it's it's just uh, whiskey, club soda, ice. Okay. Okay. Works for me. Uh, okay. Wait, um, do you have a brand? Yeah, whiskey brand. Uh, no, I mean, once you mix it with club soda, you're talking. Oh, that's well, fair. Okay, fair, fair, fair. Jack Daniels, then. Um, <laughs> yeah. But if I, if I had to choose a whiskey when I'm not drinking that drink, it's a Scotch, so probably a Laphroaig or something like that. Ooh, um, if you get the chance, you should uh, try to get some Suntory. Okay. Uh, it's a I'll Japanese try. whiskey, and you can usually get a bottle for about forty bucks, and it's probably some of the best Scotch whiskey, whiskey technically that that you can get. No kidding. Price. All right. Well, yeah. uh, that the price is right. So, what uh, what song would you say you have listened to the most in your life? Wow. Um, it, if I had to choose one, it would probably be a Pearl Jam song. Honestly, I <laughs> I went through a really long phase of being a Pearl Jam fan. So probably Alive by Pearl Jam. Okay. I, wait. I, so I have a, I have an observation here about this. Um, for me, Eddie Vedder's voice is much like what you described earlier with that, with Led Zeppelin. Yeah, they're like they're like it's, yeah. it's like an instrument in the song. I, I should go back and listen to Pearl Jam now. Uh, I might appreciate it. Like there's there's so many songs. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's also kind of like a meme for his songs. But like there's a lot of songs that I don't really know what he's singing. Um, I don't know what he's singing in any song. But like ever, but, <laughs> but it's kind of not the point. Like it's it's he's an instrument in the band. I would say that you're you're both absolutely correct because. Who knows what he's talking about? Actually, they are probably the only band I've ever heard that has a huge hit song that's lasted, uh, you know, t- thirty years that has no actual real lyrics in Yellow Letter. <laughs> that song, yeah. I'm pretty sure he's going, "I'm a soul on a hand, want to come on a same on a hand." You know, he's like, "Who knows?" I don't think there's actual words to that song. Uh, yes. Um, peak concert experience as an attendee. Oh man, uh, probably Radiohead. I remember seeing Radiohead play probably 2000 uh, when when OK Computer first came out, and it was ridiculous. Gwen, I saw Radiohead once you too. Did? I did in West oh. Palm Beach. Oh. Only I was born not in 2005. <laughs> yes. Oh. Um, uh, f- f- favorite favorite venue in uh, you know well anywhere, but you know maybe just you know in Philly, you know growing up. What's your favorite venue there to uh, see a show? Uh, favorite well when i was growing up it was definitely the truck uh but just because that was where all the punk shows were 
but it, now it's it's probably uh, Union Transfer. We even uh, Good Old War even has a, a live album from there. Oh, cool. Um, okay, um, let's move on to song number three now. All right, uh, should I announce it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, you go ahead and announce it this time. All right, so that's actually a good segue because the next one is Bad Religion Generator, and this is a complete left turn from the other two. This is uh, this is a punk song. This band rules. <laughs> All right, hit it, Richard. I think you have to be made of stone not to get pumped up after you hear that. Heck yeah. <laughs> Every single person in that band is hitting as hard as they possibly can the entire time. <laughs> like the vocal, everything is just is just full force as much as you could possibly give. You so full on emotion. It's just great because like in an era where punk was really starting to become like like this was like right at the beginning of like pop punk. Right. And th- well, that's and, a thing. Yeah. Bad Religion was not doing that. They were like, no, it's going to be weird. Bad Religion actually. Well, the funny thing is that they were actually kind of poised to be that band. You mm-hmm. know, when when Nirvana came out, Bad Religion had already been out since 1980, you know, a 10 year old band by the time Nirvana came out. And they, you know, they all the major labels started snatching up all these bands that are were pretty established. And I'm pretty sure Bad Religion was one of those bands that was absolutely supposed to be following the wave of nirvana uh yeah. and obviously they were not going to change anything for anybody and they yeah. were I mean, no they we're still going to curse we're still going to be dirty we're still going to we're still going to have our political messaging in every single song and we're still going to you know we're just going to be intelligent and we're not going to let any anybody change us and i love that about them yeah just like structurally that could have they could have easily been off the offspring but they, exactly. They well, they signed the offspring. That. That's a, so the funny thing is that in a lot of ways, the, the offspring changed Bad Religion because they had this label, Epitaph, um, which is now one of the biggest label. It's probably the biggest punk label ever. And uh, they even have a smaller label called Anti that a lot of great bands are on, too. Uh, that's like the label that um, is like the non-punk wing of Epitaph. And when Offspring was on Epitaph and so was Rancid. And I, I don't know if they still are, but they were. And these bands that just blew up at that time. So the guitar player in the band that wrote this song and a whole bunch of their songs, uh, Bad Religion songs, uh, left the band to go be the label for those bands that did blow up. And so they're in a lot of ways responsible for that massive pop punk thing. So what's the song story with Generator, though? Well, I think with this song particularly, this was definitely one of the first Bad Religion songs that I heard uh, because – and I actually I discovered them through Pearl Jam. I remember Eddie Vedder sang on one of their albums, uh, Recipe cool. for Hate. Uh, so he sang on a song. So I – as a Pearl Jam fan, he, and he was always talking about them. Uh, and this was an entrance. So this began my I, – I went through a, maybe a good – I still listen to them <laughs> to be honest with you. But I went through a good real long phase of just being obsessed with punk rock. Um, and the bands from this Southern California, uh, at this time, but this song, I think the, was the first time I'd ever heard real melody at this speed, you know, the, 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 the song's so fast, but there's so much melody and there's so much harmony. It's all the things that I love. Um, and then there's that section where they go to that, that part where everybody's hitting in, uh, playing in a completely different key. It happens twice in the song where, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and I just think that's so cool. <laughs> you know, not only are they play, all playing in a different key, but they're playing very confident. And, I, you know, they, they've chosen to play every note that is incorrect at the same time. And I just think that's really that's as badass as you get. Did you have bands like that? Did you go into that world musically yourself? 
Oh yeah, big time. And I'm so <laughs> thankful that and none of those bands did anything uh, because if I was a 40 year old playing punk rock now, I'd be pretty bummed. oh man um so if you had to characterize the uh, the good old war to somebody who's never heard it like what do you describe you guys as well a lot of people say that we're indie folk uh so uh, i would say it's hard to describe it when it's a combination of so many things but i say it's music to to be it to enjoy it's it's got all the elements of classic music but it's not a throwback so it's definitely got this crosby stills and nash or sarman and garfunkel feel to it but it's also got this very upbeat, uh, upbeat rock and roll feel, and then it has a lot of folky stuff. But really, it's just music to to sing along to, and and hopefully feel a little bit of happiness when you listen to it. I can't find it here. I printed it out. I was looking up some of your songs, and there was a YouTube comment where, at the time, your video had a bunch of up thumbs ups and it had apparently one thumbs down. And the person was like, "How could you even thumbs down?" Oh, here it is. Um, oh no, that's not it either. Anyway, they basically said, how could you do thumbs down to this? They're like, their songs make it, how can their songs not make you feel so good or something like that? And I thought that was nice. That's really nice. That's exactly what I like to hear because that's that's the point for us was always that we never, we would make really sure that none of our songs ever said anything mean or, um, I know that sounds kind of like we're trying to be PG, but we weren't, we were just genuinely just, we wanted to bring something good into the world and, um, there's enough negative music and and angry music and we wanted to make people happy i found the comment it said how can someone not like this beautiful song every good old war song is calming and amazing oh maybe someone maybe someone was searching for norwegian death metal and they landed on your side yeah (laughs) or maybe Um, that person should start writing our pr or maybe it's like your mom or something (laughs) um, that's my mom (laughs) thanks mom (laughs) uh hey danny do you ever listen to um walk the moon Walk the Moon? No, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not familiar with it. So they got they got big like four or five years ago. I want to say I may be mis- misremembering the timeline there, but uh, they got they hit big with um, "Shut Up and Dance with Me." It was like a pop single. Oh um, yeah, I know that. It's so, so, like synth pop, um, and uh, they kind of broke out because they topped the Apple um, the Apple download charts. But but I went to a concert across the state uh, to see them with some buddies of mine. Uh, not expecting to be in a in a bar basically filled with like teenage girls because right. we didn't know the de- we didn't know the demo we were just like this is a cool band <laughs> but they are like they're like pure positivity built into synth pop like like I love the that. the singer like the lead singer is exactly what you're describing there where they they aren't really trying to drive like narrative they just want to make like good music and they want people in the room to feel good when they hear that yeah, I love that. And but you can have depth. You know, I, I think that, oh, yeah. that was the thing. That was the thing for us is that we weren't it, it wasn't shallow just because we're trying to make people happy. I mean, um, we did touch on some real things and and we, we just also wanted to make sure that, you know, a lot of our lyrics were actually are actually kind of sad, um, but they're always put down with a, a little bit of a joyous uh, approach to the music. What song would you say you've played the most times yourself with a guitar? Oh man, uh, probably Blackbird. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds nice. That's a good move. Um, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd like to see that. Ooh, do you have a, do you have an, a guitar Everest song? Like, do you have a song that you've been trying to work out or learn, even now or maybe for a long period of time? Yeah, I'm the one that I'd really like to know. It's not a guitar song, but uh, I'd love to be able to play it on the guitar. Is John Coltrane "Giant Steps"? It's kind of the. I think mm-hmm. that's the Everest for almost any musician if they. Mm-hmm. 
they really want to like, if you want to be great, you should be able to play that. I, I have my versions of it, but I've never really, I don't feel like I've ever really mastered it. How many guitars do you have? <laughs> I'll show you in the picture, but I'm sitting, in front, of, I'm sitting in front of about 30 something guitars. Oh. Uh, do you have a favorite on, you know, both electric and acoustic? Yeah, my acoustic is probably the Guild that my Aunt Ron uh, gave me, uh, that uh, she gave me when I was eight. It, she had got it brand new in 1964 uh, in Philly and brought it to summer camp, and it got all beat up, and I destroyed it further. further and I actually, I took it on tour forever, uh, but it got it started getting so like I got started getting so scared that I was going to destroy it that I actually ended up tattooing it on my arm and leaving it home. But it's still my number one recording guitar. Um, so it's a 64 guild. And then I also, for my electric, I have the Walnut Strat. That's probably like a 79 Walnut Strat. <sighs> Jeez. Uh, Gwen, you got a question? Um, sure. <laughs> um, what's your favorite genre of music to listen to? Like if you picked one genre of well, music. Well, hi, Gwen. Um, hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, um, I don't know. My favorite, my favorite genre of music, it depends on the mood, I think. But... Um, I'm a rock and roll guy, you know, deep down, I think. I, I love instruments and I love ba- people playing them. And um, rock and roll does that for me. If you could add an instrument to your repertoire instantly, Matrix style, which would it be? Pedal steel. Pedal steel? Yeah. Ooh. That was, you went right for I that. About is that. there one? Is there a second behind that? Uh, I'd probably like to be a better drummer. Okay. Um, how do you listen to music when you're uh, uh, out in the world or at home, like physically, like what services or do you have vinyl or what, you know, paint that picture? Yeah, I, all of them. I do have vinyl. Um, but uh, mostly if I listen on my phone, I actually use Tidal because they pay artists um, and it sounds good. So Tidal, I prefer over Spotify, but I do use Spotify as well. Um, and in the car, I actually have found a whole bunch of my old CDs. So I've spent the last, uh, year or so just going through CDs, which I love. Hmm. I think it's the best sounding way to listen to music that we've ever come up with. I listen to a lot of CDs too. I mean, yeah. I, I still, my car is not fancy enough to have anything <laughs> more than a CD NPR player. There's either or CDs right. on in my dad's car. And those are the only two options. <laughs> well, yeah, well, we, have, we certainly share that. That's for sure. <laughs> on the way over here, we were listening to. I recently found the um, the soundtrack to the movie Rushmore on CD, which I had uh, back in the day. I found. Do you mean Richard got it at a thrift store? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> how I found. It. I knew I found it at a thrift store. I knew there was a thrift store to find in there somewhere. <laughs> oh man, I, that's. I mean, that's a great way. That's a great. I think any of the of those Wes Anderson movies is a great introduction to the Kinks because man, he uses some great Kink song all the time. Ooh, so. Um, not Wes Anderson, but because of because of Jason um, Schwartzman, uh, Schwartzman, Scott Pilgrim, the music. Yeah, no, like is like that indie rock feel. Do you go in for that? I, I haven't. I've heard all about this movie. I really have to actually see it. I've <laughs> never seen it. I'm always about. I'm always about like seven, eight years behind everybody else. I haven't I seen it either. Okay, you... I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Wait. Okay. You <laughs> <We> got problems <laughs> because because this is um. This is like your favorite director, Mike. Well, I know. Is it? It's a Wes Anderson. Then no, it's not Wes Anderson. It's um. Well, um uh, he did. He did. Director. He did. Uh, Baby Driver. Um. Uh, got, um. I don't even know who that oh, guy what's is. His name. I like Baby Driver, but oh, I don't know his name. His name. I can't this, hold on, we're gonna do this. 
This is impossible. This is one of those times, Danny, where we just go off into things. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. See if my brain beats Google. Um, I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need a bathroom break at some point in this in this podcast. Okay. Well, we're we're heading we're in for a landing pretty soon here. Um, oh, uh, Edgar Wright. It's an it's an Edgar Wright movie. Edgar Wright. Okay, yeah. I know that name. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, here's, here's how I'm gonna sell you on this, Danny. Um, the main characters are in a band and they they fight Sold. in a band with the music that they play. Like there when they say battle of the bands, I mean they actually use the music to fight with. It's such oh, a good so movie. cool. That's great. I love that. <laughs> okay. Um we, okay, so speaking of needing to go to the bathroom and having time oh, we're well, going to We're going to uh, we're going to go for speed, oh, speed round, round now. Yeah. Okay, you ready? Speed Danny? round. Let's do it. All right, let's go. Okay. Um uh Broadway musicals, do you like them and if so, do you have a favorite? I'm not crazy about them in general, but um uh, when I when I listen to them, I almost always have my mind blown. But the one that that always stuck with me was definitely Phantom of the Opera, Andrew Lloyd Webber. All right. Uh, do you have a favorite movie soundtrack or a movie that had the best music soundtrack? Hmm. Yeah. Music. Music for movies. Uh, yeah, I really love the music for the movie uh, There Will Be Blood. It's not oh, really a soundtrack; yeah. it's more of a, a score. But Johnny Greenwood. Uh, Go to karaoke song. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody because I'm a jerk <laughs> <laughs> nice um, favorite band of all time besides the Beatles aside from the Beatles I love that that's part of the question uh, it's gonna have to be Pearl Jam alright um, any songs that you'll avoid listening to for more like memory association reasons uh, no not really I, I like it all I try to okay. keep music if you could magically broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet simultaneously what would you choose wow this is quite heavy questions for uh the speed round for the speed uh, round i'd probably say maybe america simon and garfunkel it's one of those songs that makes everybody happy oh hmm. um most overplayed song of all time in your opinion sadly stairway yep Still great, still overplayed. If you still could have, great, if, so still great, still overplayed. Yeah, still like, how do you even write that? But still overplayed. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. H- how uh, or uh, if you could have written any song ever, what would it be? Wow. Uh, well, we're gonna have to. It's gonna have to be a Beatles song. So, uh, yeah. I mean, God, how do you pick? Maybe all you need is love because there's just it's got it all. Uh, got a fourth song that almost made it to the list that you want to just give a shout out to. No, uh, I think I think that's good. I, I like the uh, I like our list. If you could stand in uh, for a set with any band, living or dead, who would you who'd you play with? It would probably Radiohead. I think they're the coolest band of all time. Or Pink my Floyd. Next, my next question, Richard, was who would you most like to share a stage with, living <laughs> or dead? Yeah. Well, there it is. Then. <laughs> I'd say I'd say Radiohead or Pink Floyd. I, I, they're almost the same in different eras to me. Mm. Uh, okay, so what's what's on your horizon musically? What's your next project or one you're currently within besides the one that you were in Colorado for? Uh, besides the one I was in Colorado for, I'm making a, a follow-up EP for Black Rhino, and I have finished an instrumental album that will be out soon. Song you most recently wrote? <laughs> I wrote songs in Colorado with friends, yes. Songs that may stick around? I hope so. I'm hoping the world hears them very soon. Cool. Uh, what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are now? I think he'd say, you're doing all right, but you could probably be a, be a little bit bigger. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, it's uh, time to uh, – here, Richard, do the sure. three, three okay. songs All right, question. Danny, uh, think of the three songs that you brought for the show today and mm-hmm. answer these three questions um, with them. So uh, one of the songs you have to select to uh, secure forever 
for posterity for people. People will always know it, love it. It'll be around and popular. Of these uh, one three of the so- songs? Yes. Uh, of, of your three songs. Uh, one of the songs you select will be um, the only song that you get to listen to for the rest of your life. If you listen to music, it has to be this song. Um, and then the third song that you select will be erased from having ever been created. Okay. Go. Well, I guess the the song that I would probably be able to hear the most because I have heard it the most is probably 10 Years Gone because it's it's deep. You know, it, it has so much I could pay attention to. Um, and the song that I guess that I'd have to say, you know, would have, have had the least impact on the world if it wasn't there would probably be uh, Generator. Uh but only because it's not it's it, you know it's not Everly Brothers or something that's been so important to the world. And then so some sweet day becomes guaranteed. Yeah, I think some sweet day is the guaranteed. Yeah. You know, and if and if ten days gone became music for you, I wonder how long it would take before you started getting to know the lyrics. I, yeah, I, I still I still don't know. I'm like you'll be like five years in, and you'll still just be like humming along. <laughs> but I can sing every guitar line. Right? Yes. Um, okay. Now it's time for you to recommend three people who you'll share this with that you would like us to try to get on. Okay. Well, um, I was thinking about this. Uh, I think my friend Gregory Allen Isakoff, who's an amazing musician, and I think I was, you know, it's very hard for me to choose three people. Uh, well, I'll share it with everybody. But I think it would be very cool if you guys did have my Aunt Ron on this show. She would be a very interesting person to talk to. We make grandma. that happen. And uh, this, that's a, she's not a musician, but she's a very interesting and fun person to talk to. And uh, hmm, let's see, for the third person, how about somebody from my band? How about, how about Keith from Good Old War? Okay, that's yeah. perfect. And I, you know, I, I, if you could help, these they're all there near you. So if you could help facilitate doing a, a recording like we're doing now, then we could make that happen really easily. You got it, man. Okay, well, that's all the done it. We've done. We've run the course. Uh, Gwen, you have any final thoughts? I don't know. <laughs> I guess not. Okay, Danny, <laughs> do you have any final thoughts? No, thank you guys so much for having me on. This was a pleasure. Uh, we really enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, thanks, guys. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is online content producer and periodic host. Chris Duffus is executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. And our associate producer this week was Guinevere Bortnicker Canary. For this week's parting tune, we're going with Ball and Chain. It's the fifth track off Danny's new album, Black Rhino.
keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. I, I don't know. It was the it is the only instrument that I had lessons for because you have to. There's no way in the world you can learn to play the pipes on your own. You have to have. <laughs> well, a, that's what I was gonna say. You didn't yeah. like.